Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 52, 10 Things You Need to Know Before You Start Self-Publishing, part one of two, coming to you on Tuesday, April 17th, 2018. I am so excited right now as I'm recording this. It is Sunday, and today is the first full day of our living in Malmo, Sweden. Ah, it's very, very fun, um, very exciting, very, uh, well, John's nervous, of course. His first day of work is tomorrow, um, but everything is, is very exciting. We just got back from the grocery store, and I had to ask people, does this say that this is conditioner? Because the other one says shampoo, so this must be conditioner, right? Yes, this word means conditioner. Is this plastic wrap that you put on your food because it kind of looks like the word plastic? Yes, that's plastic wrap. So tomorrow I'm going to the library and not only, um, well, I probably can't get a library card yet. Um, I'm pretty sure that I won't be able to get a library card until I get my people number or person number or personal number. I'm not sure exactly what it's been. I've heard it a couple of different ways, but um, so whatever it's called, I need to get that number and then I can do pretty much anything I want ever, apparently. Um, but you can't really do anything without that number. So anyway, I am going to the library and I am going to go to the children's librarian and ask her for a book that has the alphabet and, you know, pictures next to it so that I'm like, A is for apple, C is for cat. Only I'll know what these what these letters are. Uh, I know there's at least one different letter, at least, because there's two dots over it, and there's a word for the two dots, and I can't remember what that word is, but <laughs> I have a lot to learn, but I'm so, so, so excited. And in the meantime, of course, I'm still doing the podcast three days a week. So um, today is your teaching episode, and I'm going to try very hard to start focusing now <laughs> on the topic. So in July of this year, I'm going to be teaching at the Romance Writers of America National Conference. Yay! I'm very excited. I love teaching. I always love teaching for anything with RWA because it's just a great, great, great organization. Um, but I'm super excited because I've wanted to teach at the national conference um, for quite a few years. But sometimes I, I decided not to put my name in and, and try to get chosen because I didn't know where I was going to live. And this last year, John was like, just put your name in and wherever we live, we'll make it work. So I think um, John got offered the job and I was asked to speak like within a week or two of each other. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, flying from California to Denver is one thing, but flying from Sweden to Denver, whew. Anyway, don't care. It's going to be super duper fun. I'm very, very excited. But I was thinking that you might like to know a little bit about this. Um, you know that I self-publish my books. I have my own little mini company that I just published myself, though if John decides to self-publish any of his middle grade fiction, then we'll also publish it through Daydreamer Entertainment as well. But I like teaching this workshop that I've taught I don't know, several, many times on things that you need to know before you start self-publishing so that you can decide whether or not it's even a path that you want to choose. Because maybe you're thinking it is, and then it turns out you learn more about it, and you're like, oh, not so sure now. Or maybe you're like, no, I'm sure that that's not for me. And then you learn more about it, and you're like, oh, oh, wait, no, I could do that. That actually sounds like it could be, you know, if not fun, then certainly doable and on your list of things that you might want to try. So 
I'm not going to give you the entire presentation in our short little episode here, but I thought I would just break it down into uh, short bits. We'll do the first five of the 10 things that I like to let people know about today. And then next Tuesday, we'll cover the second five things. Okay, so the first thing that you need to know is you do not have to commit now. And that's kind of what I was saying when I was just now introducing it, is that people feel like I need to decide. I'm either going in, I'm doing it, or I'm deciding right now, I'm not going to do it. You don't have to decide right now. You don't have to decide until you have all of the information. Similar to me moving to Sweden. I didn't have to decide when John was trying to decide if he was going to uh, apply for this job, whether or not I wanted to move to Sweden. That was not a step I had to consider yet. I mean, first he was just applying and then he was just interviewing. But by the time we got to the second interview, we had to be seriously considering, you know, if this continues, and I think there was four interviews altogether. Is this something we really want to do? Because if not, we need to back out now. But you see what I mean? At the beginning, we didn't have to commit to, I commit to moving to Sweden, even though I know nothing about it. Of course not. So self-publishing and really anything that you uh, are thinking about doing in life is pretty much the same thing. You don't have to commit until you've learned a lot more about it. And even so, this because it's something that you're doing yourself, you're not signing the contract with anybody, just you. In the end, it still isn't something that you ever have to be fully and completely committed to for the rest of your life. It might be something that you do for a while and then something changes and you decide not to do it anymore. But there is a point at which, somewhere in the middle there, that once you decide, I'm going to put a book out, there are things that you will need to do in order to continue to be successful. But right this second, you don't have to commit I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You just need to learn more about it. And that's kind of the point of my of my workshop. So then the second point is, is that there is a lot of information to be learned, an awful lot. There, Most of it is really good information. Some of it was good information and now it's old and no longer is really uh, applicable or no longer correct. Uh, some of it's just bad information. It's not correct. It was never completely correct at the time that it was put out. And when I say information, I'm talking about everything that you could possibly learn verbally from somebody or from somebody's blog or even a magazine article, you know, probably was correct at the time, but may well be out of date, particularly if the article was written, you know, in 2010 or 12 or something like that. Lots of information, so much information. It's going to make you feel overwhelmed if you don't have some way that you've decided you're going to organize it all. Also, if you learn something and then you're like, wait, I thought I just learned the opposite of that somewhere else, you need to be able to find the information that you've previously learned so that you don't get frustrated trying to figure out, I know somebody told me how to do this and now I want to do it and I don't know how to do it because I can't find that article or blog or whatever it was. So decide in advance how you're going to organize the information so that you can find it again and always, always be looking at the date that the information was put out and keep track of the person or organization that you're getting the information from. If it's somebody who is self-publishing successfully, and I mean that in two different ways, self-publishing successfully, meaning they are self-publishing books that look just as good and read just as well as any traditionally published book, and also at uh, one category up from that, doing all those things and making more than enough money to live on, that they are, their their sole income is coming from their self-publishing. Those are the kinds of people that you're going to get the best information from. They're not the only people who have correct information, but you do want to make sure that you're not getting information and following up on it with... uh, 
getting information from people or organizations that you don't know that they have a vested interest in trying to make you think that this is a bad idea. Um, there are some news articles that are or have been, depending on what year you're reading them, um, very against self-publishing um, and making it sound a lot more like vanity publishing, which it is not. There are similarities, of course, in as much as um, you are the person who, are, who is deciding to uh, publish your book. But even so, with vanity publishers, what it really is is that you're paying somebody an exorbitant sum of money to put your book into print, and then nothing happens to it. Nothing, no copies ever get sold, and you're out $5,000. Um, so when people are having... Um, positive, honestly, positive or negative things to say about self-publishing. You need to understand where they're coming from so that you can evaluate how good you think that information is and how applicable you think it is to what you want to do. All right, number three, you need to choose your software. Now, this is not necessarily something that you need to do at the very, very beginning. Most people write in Word. An awful lot of writers are moving to Scrivener, have already moved and have used Scrivener for years. I know people who write in Pages, people who write in OpenOffice. Um, there's still a few WordPerfect users out there. Uh, so when you're initially just working on writing books, just continue using whatever it is that you really like to use. But when it gets to the point where you're publishing your own books, then you need to research software, find out what software. Now, there's a lot of software that will do more than one thing, but it does one or two things really well. You know, a couple things, meh, and a couple things you're like, no, I, that's, you need to know that's not what that software is used for or should be used for. So, um, depending on what sorts of things that you're going to do. You know, if you're going to um, publish a book that's just for your children and an extended family or something, then, you know, there's a lot of things that don't make quite as much difference. But if you're publishing a book that you want to get up on, you know, multiple retailers like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, iBooks, stuff like that, um, then you want to make sure that you're using software that is putting together a ebook and or print book that looks and feels absolutely professional to the end user because the end user has no idea what you're doing. But you need to make sure that you've chosen software that other people have said, this is great software for this and this. And um, then it'll keep you from buying too much software that you didn't need. Uh, it'll keep you from um, taking an awful long time trying to force software to do something it's not good at. For instance, Word is for, it's word processing. It's not publishing. <laughs> so um, while some people have successfully created their uh, ebook and print layouts using Word, and there are ways to do that that I could tell you more about, um, mostly I talk about it in my online classes, uh, you know, it's not, it's not the best software for that. And you're going to spend a lot more time than how much time you would if you just bought something, say like Vellum, that the whole point of the software is to convert your document into an ebook. And now they do it so that you can convert it immediately into a print book. Um, so knowing what you're going to use and figuring that out before you get to the point where you're like, but I said my book was going to come out next week and I can't get this thing to work. <laughs> you, you don't want to be choosing your software at that moment in time. All right. Number four, house style guide. Very important. I cannot stress how much I personally find this to be very important and how much I personally think every single author 
who's doing any of their own publishing, you need a house style guide. The fact is, is that traditional publishing houses use a house style guide, and there is a very good reason for it. You want to maintain consistency across all of your books. You want to have a brand that is you know, Kitty Buchholz's books are professional. They look right. They they feel right. Um, everything you know looks great on the page, to the point where the reader would never actually say that or even think that because um, it already looks right to them and is easy to read, and therefore they have no thought about it at all. Pretty much, this is the sort of thing where readers only think about it if things are going very badly, like. Um, there were uh, instances in the past where uh, the software wasn't formatting the ebooks correctly, and you would have whole paragraphs, like um, several, even a couple of pages of paragraphs, all came through the ebook looking like one long paragraph. It's hard to read, and it looks wrong, and, and it's frustrating. <laughs> um, so um, that actually is more of a formatting thing. But when it comes to your house style guide, what you want is to make sure that, for instance, are you always, always, always going to spell gray, G-R-A-Y or G-R-E-Y? Are you going to hyphenate coworker or are you going to spell it as one word? Are you going to capitalize internet or spell it with a lowercase? Um, there are a whole bunch of very small decisions that need to be made, but you want to make them consistency, uh, make them consistently, and keep them the same throughout all of your books. And if you write nonfiction and fiction, again, you still want to stay consistent. You want to have a brand that is one where. Um, readers aren't finding errors and they're not finding things where they're, whether they notice it um, at the front of their brain or not, there will be a place where they are noticing that um, this word was spelled differently <laughs> a few pages ago. Uh, it's definitely something that I would notice. And uh, as a reader, it may well be something that you would notice. You don't want readers to have those sorts of thoughts taking them out of your story. Um, it's also a great place to remind yourself of how to spell or, um, or punctuate something that you always, always, always forget. Um, I think backyard, oddly, is a word that for five or six years, I had to, it's still in my style guide, but I had to put it in my style guide and leave it there because I never could remember whether or not it was one word or two words. Um, and so part of creating your house style guide is creating the found, deciding what the foundation is that you're going to use to begin the creation. So for instance, I use the Chicago Manual style. I happen to use the 15th edition because it's the one that I have. It doesn't change enough for me to worry about buying a new one anytime in the near future. Uh, and I think it's up to at least edition 20 right now. Um, it's ginormous. I think it's Gosh, it's got to be a thousand pages anyway. Um, but it answers every single question you could possibly have about capitalization, punctuation, stuff like that. And then choosing which one dictionary you're going to use. Because not every dictionary spells words the exact same. Particularly if you're talking about, are you going to use an Australian dictionary because you live in Australia? Because there are some things that are spelled differently. An awful lot of words that are spelled differently. Uh, some punctuation that is different. I know this because I went to grad school in Australia. And I had to learn to redo a whole bunch of things and, and try to remember them and hold them in my mind. Um, are you going to use a British dictionary, an American di dictionary? Obviously, it depends on um, where you live, you know, who you are and where you live. Uh, it depends on whether or not you want to um, 
use uh, words, phrases, punctuation, etc., that are more likely to appeal to the biggest audience that you have. So for instance, I know there are a few UK writers who their biggest audience is actually Americans. And I've heard at least one person say that they did or were thinking about changing over so that everything was American spellings, American punctuation, so that the biggest part of their audience um, wasn't frustrated, confused, emailing him or her, you know, stuff like that. On the other hand, I know at least one American author who writes um, more kind of a medieval feel book, and she decided to use all British uh, words, phrases, spelling, punctuation, that sort of thing, um, to bring that feel of this kind of British uh, medieval feel to the reading of it. So whatever you choose is totally up to you. Just have a reason for it. Have it written down. That's your house style guide. Okay. And then number five, last one for today is a formatting checklist. This used to be much, much, much more important to me because I was literally hand formatting my entire book to make it into an ebook. And then I bought vellum and my entire world became rainbows and unicorns and sunshine because suddenly it did everything for me right away. Now there's one or two really small things that I wish it did. It will probably do at some point in the future, but it doesn't do. Um, there are an awful lot of changes that you can make. Like you can choose this particular format and then go through and tweak a whole bunch of bits of it. Um, there's a few things that you can't tweak yet. Um, I, they're always making improvements on it. Um, unfortunately for Windows users, it is currently only a Mac software. And I think that they are the people, um, I have several different pieces of software that I'm familiar with the people who made them. And I think that uh, Vellum is one of the ones where the, the fellows said that they're not planning on putting out a Windows u version in the near future. Um, on the other hand, Scrivener, um, though not necessarily the best thing that you can use for formatting, it will create uh, ebook files. And I know some people have used it. So that is a possibility. It's also available for Windows and Mac. So that's good. Um, but the fact is, is that there are some things that you're going to need to decide. For instance, do you like the look of a drop cap at the beginning of every new chapter? Uh, you know, it's like the capital letter that is as tall as two or three lines of text. Or do you prefer um, all caps all the way across the whole first line? Um, do you prefer to do all caps for just the first half of the first line? Um, are you going to do what pretty much is um, the norm in all uh, fiction publishing, which is to not indent the first paragraph of a new chapter? Uh, there's all these little little tiny things that you need to decide, and a lot of them you never even think about until suddenly you have to decide it. So um, these are some things that you'll want to decide and uh, and write down so that, again, you can be consistent, have a professional look that is your look, and um, that will be part of your formatting checklist. And then as you come up with new things that you need to do, that you'll have um, both how to format your eBooks and how to format your print books all written down. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you'll have a very professional look. Uh, it'll be consistent. Readers will, if they're going to be annoyed, they're going to be annoyed with every book and they're just going to have to deal with, well, that's the way that I do it. I use a drop cat. I'm sorry that you hate to have that great big first letter. You know, nobody's going to complain about that. That's a pretty normal, a normal way to, um, to format a book. So, but I'm just saying that, um, 
the less that readers are complaining about things that have nothing to do with your story, the better for you, right? (laughs) Well, those are the first five things of the 10 things that I have in my 10 things you need to know before you start self-publishing. And next week, we will do this second five things. And then um, you'll have kind of a overview of what it is that I'm going to be teaching at the RWA conference. That'll be fun for everybody who's not going. You'll get the information early. And uh, if you are going, you get the information early and you can think about it and ask me questions when you get there. I hope you are having a fantastic day. I am. It's a lovely foggy day in Malmo, Sweden. I'm overlooking the um, the, well, I would say the backyard area, but I don't know the right words to use here. Um, so it's an apartment building. So not the terrace. Uh, the word is escaping me. I'm um, not too jet lagged, but my mind is still full of an awful lot of things that don't include figuring out what the right word is that I want to use. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the relatively dark bedroom behind me of my lovely new apartment. And um, I will see if there's anything interesting that I can um, put on YouTube for people to see. We are actually, and I mentioned this um, last week maybe or the week before, John and I did decide we are definitely going to have a YouTube um, show on my Kitty Buholtz channel that is going to be Two Americans in Malmo. And we recorded the first episode in LAX um, I guess technically it was the day before yesterday. You know, when you fly for a long time, you sort of forget. I started on this day and ended on that day. So what day was it? (laughs) But um, yeah, so we we recorded the first episode. I'll let you know when that's up on YouTube. Um, It's probably going to be a whole bunch of little short episodes, a whole bunch for a while while every single thing in the world is new to us. And then uh, we'll see if we can uh, keep it up at once a week uh, with just telling you interesting things we're doing and seeing and eating and that sort of thing. So um, I will give you more information on that. Remember, you can always find links to anything that I'm talking about um, in the show notes, which is at podcast.rightnowworkshop.com. I would love for you to leave a review sometime, let other people know what you think of the show and um, helps people to figure out whether or not this is the kind of show that they would want to listen to, if it's the right show for them. And mostly, I just want to say thank you. You guys have all been so welcoming and charming and supportive and encouraging. And I just love having you with me on this journey. I hope that um, I can continue giving you great information and uh, give you little bits of my new life in Sweden too. Have a great week and I will talk to you more soon.